1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: G'day. Welcome. This is Better Make It Quick. I'm Osher Ginsburg. Thanks for being a part of the show. This is the Wednesday version of Better Than Yesterday, which is a podcast that's here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday, something you hear on this show and every show. is here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday by having conversations with people from all over the world, from all walks of life, some of them experts in their field. There's hundreds of episodes. Uh, we're going to go into one of them today and um, they're brought to you by me. <laughs> I'm Osher. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a podcaster. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a, a track pants in the driveway taking out the rubbish kind of guy yet to do slippers outside. I'm an inside slippers guy. I don't have outside slippers yet. That's the next stage. I think next stage is outside slippers. But I'm inside slippers at the moment. And I'm here three times a week. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays, Wednesdays with a guest and Fridays with you. And on Wednesdays, today, uh, we'd like to have a look back at some of the episodes from the past. Now, Brie, who works on the show, she's our producer, one of our producers here, she's been um, you know, flicking through the back catalogs and she found uh, a conversation which happened a few short days after I met Charlie Clawson, who has gone on to become one of my dear, dear friends. In fact, I sent him a text message the other night saying happy anniversary because it was the Sydney Film Festival, uh, Red Carpet. And I said, ah, oh, that's not you walked up to me and shook my hand and said, hey, man, how you going? Uh, I like your podcast. And I went, fuck, you're Charlie from TOEFOP. And he went, yeah. And we've known each other since then. And we now make Dad Pod, which is a conversation between two dads who want to be the best dads and not be shit dads. Charlie and I spoke in this conversation. We spoke in 2014, and since then we've had we've had kids four weeks apart. So I have two. Uh, one's my eldest; she's my stepdaughter, and we have Wolfie, who's nearly three now. But Wolfie is a month older than Iona, Charlie's daughter. And so we started Dad Pod, which is a conversation between him and I about our adventures leading up to the birth of and following what it's like to be a dad and not be a shit dad. Charlie's an amazing human being. He's an actor, he's a producer, he's a podcaster. You would have seen him when he was a young man on Blue Healers. You would have seen him on Home and Away. You would have heard him on Toe Fop with Will Anderson. He's also on Two Guys One Cup, the AFL podcast he does with Will. He has a sensational show of his own called That's Awesome. And I really recommend it to anyone who's dealing with a, a loss of a parent, um, which does happen. It's gonna happen at some point. He does an amazing episode with his mum not long before she passed, and it is one of the truly more wonderful conversations that I've been privileged to hear, and it's such a gift, and so I thoroughly recommend you go check that out, but I definitely want you to check out Dad Pod, which is out now. Find it where you found this podcast. Now, when I first met Charlie, I asked him if he would agree that in the industry we're in to have the success that he's had, that it's more about not just who you know, but also who knows what you know rather than what you know.
1: I I was feeling a bit nervous about coming here today because, you know, when people want to talk about my career, like I still don't know I have one. (laughs) Like I just tend to do things, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's obviously I have goals and plans and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, I've sort of done a bunch of different things, you know, like I act and, you know, I've produced and uh, I write and, you know, the podcasting and these are all kind of the path of least resistance for me. You know what I mean? Like uh, I just sort of knew when I left high school that I had a mate of a comedian, Michael Chamberlain, who you know, I've known since I was 10. And Michael's always been a very, like, always an individual, always knew you know, he, what he wanted to do. And he just wanted to get into stand up comedy. That's what he did. Like, and so we went to uni together and did a film degree at, at Deakin in, in, in Melbourne. And the first I thought, well, this is how it works. You get your degree, your degree qualifies you for a job. And then that leads to blah, 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 blah. But after three years of doing that degree, I knew less about film than when I started. Like I was more confused and and felt less knowledgeable than when I started. And then coming out of university, I worked at a production company just as a, a runner. But this production company, they're now, they're called Exit Films. They're now probably the biggest commercial production company in Australia, offices in Sydney and Melbourne. But in the day, it was like a creative hub. Like they had this warehouse in Richmond, really cool, open plan. Like people would ride razors. This is the 90s. So people would ride razor scooters around the office, you know, that kind of place. A bit like, you know, in Zoolander, where you go to Hansel's place, and yeah. there's a half pipe. And yeah, yeah. It, was a, it had that kind of vibe to it. But this guy who ran it, this really brilliant guy called Henrik, who was this Danish guy who'd come to Australia as a photographer and then started, started a production company, he had this philosophy of just a creative environment. And, you know, from that, so he brought michael Lynn and a few other guys to write a comedy pilot you know he wanted to make a tv show and he's a place that charlie pickering was? yeah charlie pickering so he that's talked how to, at charlie length pickering. about that yeah. yeah yeah it was very i think it was very formulaic for charlie and michael and i because we spent a year there not getting paid but they gave us access to all their equipment all their post facilities they set up meetings for us this was probably about 2000 yeah late 90s 2000 And Henrik had this crazy idea that one day people would watch videos on their computers, that people would go to websites to watch videos. And we would go to companies like, there's a bunch of dot-com companies that he would pitch for, well, I've got these guys that can provide content. Everyone's like, no one is going to watch TV on their computer, dude. Like, No one is going to watch videos on their computer. He was so out of his time. The technology just hadn't caught up to his ideas. But in that year and a bit of us just kind of writing and producing stuff, it gave me a real idea that oh fuck like I had it backwards at university I thought well you know if I get this qualification that will then lead to this it's not about that it's all about self generating and like you say meeting people if I hadn't met this Henrik guy then I would never met you know Charlie Pickering we never met you know we went and made a pilot which got us like a a sketch comedy show all this kind of crazy stuff but you're right like I think when you self-generate and you know, this podcast is a perfect example. You know, you and I bump into each other. We say hello. And then it's like, well, why don't you just come around? And there's no need to go through your producer or set it up or can we book him at this time? It's Saturday afternoon. We're getting together and talking. And to me, that is, that's what doesn't feel like a career. You know, I just feel like it's kind of things that I'm interested in doing. And, you know, there's been periods where I have not gotten paid and it's been really, really stressful. And I, like, I honestly would not know how I was going to pay rent that week. But, I don't fucking know how to do anything else. You know what
2: I mean? And you know what's wonderful? The gatekeepers, they, they really don't exist anymore, really. We no longer need anybody's permission to go out and create what we want to create. We just do it, put it out there, see what happens. And here I am, nine years after I started this podcast. It's great. Charlie's a shining example of this. He's a very hardworking man. He does just get on with it. And I did ask him if, you know, just coming from a family... Of eight brothers and sisters, have anything to do with his work ethic and his resourcefulness? And what's it like to have,
1: be one of nine? He's the the things that come to mind. There's like I've, I've been, I was there's never sweet biscuits in the house because <laughs> anything delicious gets eaten really quickly. Uh-huh. The, uh huh. The chores are divided into a timetable. Like you actually, it's broken down like a military system. So on Mondays, you know, Charlie has to set the table for breakfast in the morning, and everything has to be sort of run with that kind of precision. So. I mean, it seems so weird, but we would, you know, so you'd be rostered on to do the dishes that night and then when you'd done the dishes, you'd have to then set the table for breakfast the next day. So you'd literally lay out four boxes of cereal, like eight bowls, you know, eight spoons, sugar, you know, all this kind of stuff and leave that. So in the morning, everyone would come in and like locusts would descend on the table and eat. What else could I think of? Just a lot of fighting, you yeah. know? I mean, not not like malicious fighting, but just kind of, you get, it's like Big Brother. You get that many people in a house together, there's going to be kind of conflict. But um, my family are all very much individuals. Like, I, we're not the kind of family who hang out together all the time or, you know, we're best friends, but I love all of them and we get on really well. But everyone is very much their own person. I remember going to
2: family. mates' houses when I was a kid, mates with like who didn't have four. Children in the house, mm. and the number one thing I noticed was a: it was clean. Yeah, right. And b: it was it was quiet. Yeah,
1: no, it was never quiet at my house. Never quiet. But also, I think there is a kind of. I mean, you know, I'm actually really seeing the benefit of the big family now, just because, um, you know, when things happen, uh, you know, someone gets ill, or you know, there's some need for the family to come together. Then you have. An immediate immediate assist team. Like if anyone in our family gets into some kind of trouble, financial, health, whatever, there is a support network mm-hmm. that ordinarily would not be there. You know, there is something about that bond of family. You know, you'd never let your siblings fall by the wayside or your parents or whatever. And you know, I think it's just, you know, with my mum, especially, I just feel so grateful that mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to repay the enormous sacrifice. And it is enormous. Like, I'm only just really, as, as an adult myself, you know, getting closer to the age she was when she had me, realizing what she gave up, you know. And I talked to my mum about it very recently, you know, just, um, you know, she had dreams, you know. She said that if she hadn't met my dad, she imagined she was an artist. She would have traveled to Paris and had lots of affairs. And, you know, <laughs> she didn't. She got married and pumped out kids for 20 years. And then, you know, all that stuff went away. And, I live a very uh, self-centered life. Like, you know, Gemma and I luckily work in the same industry. So our goals and our drives are the same. But I don't have children to, to be responsible for. I can do what I want. I can live anywhere I want. And that's something that she never had. And she still managed to do it. She had all the reason in the world to be a manic depressive or, you know, to be resentful, but she wasn't, you know. And that's, it's just one of those things. I, when my, uh, my father died when I was 10, and my mum kept a diary over that period of time. And uh, I'd made a short film called The Wake, which is, did quite well for us at festivals. And it was all about, you know, the day of uh, my father's funeral, which is, you know, it, it was a bittersweet kind of thing. A lot of funny things happen, a lot of weird things. You know, I'm very philosophical about, you know, life and death and you know, having gone through that. I, I don't get... People always apologise when you, know, you find out your father died. And it's like, well, no, you know, I actually think it's worth... These things are worth discussing and exploring because... It's only fearful when you lock it up somewhere and you don't, you know, examine it. But when I was, I've i written a, a feature-length version of this film and so um, I asked mum if I could get her diary. I just wanted to read, you know, what it was like. And so what happened with my father is he got sick round about my birthday, which is July, and then over a six-month period just sort of got worse and worse and worse, you know, was hospitalised and then his last two months is in a coma and then he just passed away. Basically just body breakdown, lots of different things contributed to it. So when I read my mum's diary, it starts off very matter of fact, you know, get the shopping, blah, 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 get the car service, blah, blah, blah. And then she starts getting more and more revealing, mm-hmm. just more talking about her mental state. And it was just like, I remember one night, you know, going in to visit my dad and it was just me and her and she would go in every night. And, you know, I'd probably gone a couple of times a week. And he was particularly unwell. I think they were having to force feed him. It was a bit of a traumatic kind of experience. And so we were sort of hustled out of his ward and we went down to the car and it was one of those horrible Melbourne winters nights where it was fucking pissing with rain. And we get in the car and I'm car, the car won't start. And I remember her just like crying. And then I read the diary entry and it's like, that was just a tip of the iceberg of the issues she had. We had no money. My sister was struggling at high school all this stuff going on. My mum had to not only be a mother, but then deal with losing her life partner. You know, it's just, after I read it, I just have to call her up and say, mom, if I was ever an asshole as a teenager, I am so sorry because it was, it's superhuman what she went through. And like I said, she's had every excuse in the world to be resentful or bitter, but she's not, you know, she has not lost that kind of warmth and positivity and She's very new age, you know, for a Catholic. <laughs> she's very new age. She's into meditation. She's into regression therapy, all this kind of stuff, you know. But I think that if I could be like a tenth of that, you know, at her age, then I'm going to be okay because she's just, what she's dealt with and how where she is now has just been incredible. We're going to hear more from Charlie in just a moment. There
2: are some ads we need to play because the people that work on the show are very good at what they do and I like to pay them because, you know, they're good at what they do. In fact, I would say the best. To pay them I need to play ads. But if you are a kind of person that goes, you know what, I don't prefer not listening to ads, then hey, you can jump on Patreon, patreon.com slash Osho, and you can support this podcast and get ad-free versions of the show, including, but not limited to, some video versions of the show, which are getting put up more and more as we speak. They take a little time to cut through. But between now and then, here's some ads. It's eight years ago. It's 2014. I'm sitting in an apartment that was rented for me by Network 10 so I could work on season two of The Bachelor. If you know anything about my story, I was a little unwell at the time, but I was very grateful to have Charlie in the room with me. And we, we did get to talking. I was I was still yet to kind of really speak out loud about what was going on too much. I, I knew Some things weren't going great, but I was a bit reluctant to kind of be too verbal about it. We got to talking about how we as men react to difficult situations in our lives.
1: I had a friend who was a counsellor who worked with in a, like a women's shelter and uh, he was saying, you know, the majority of the time why these women couldn't confide in their boyfriends or their partners or their brothers or whatever was that men would hear about the abuse and their immediate response was, I need to fix and solve, you know, what do I do to change this? Mm-hmm. And he said the harder when you were counselling a guy like that what you've got to explain to them is that when that feeling comes up it's not implanted into your brain from some foreign entity which you can then go out and destroy. it is coming from you, so in order to deal with that feeling, you can't externalize it, you know no amount of you know revenge violence or you know uh, drinking or anything is going to affect the fact that you chemically are responding to that news in a certain way. That is the hard part is training yourself to go okay, I mean I have." Uh, And I have an anxiety issue that, you know, I've sort of been dealing with for like five or six years since I identified it. Like I didn't know I had anxiety, but um, the problem for me was I would get into situations that were stressful, you know, like a one out of 10 stressful situation and a 10 out of 10 stressful situation. My response to both would be exactly the same, (laughs) which is (laughs)
2: ultimate
1: ultimate freak out, right? (laughs) <laughs> and Gemma, like, you know, she would, especially when I was producing, you know, because producing can be very stressful and your job as a producer is a problem solver. Like, you're trying to make something happen. You're trying to fulfill your director's dream. So and Turning no's into yeses all day long. All day long. And making all people think long. it was their idea. Exactly. And, be- and begging people for favors. So, you know, I'd get into situations where, like, we'd have a location cancel on us, like, the night before a shoot and I would have to scramble and I would fucking go into a panic. So, I decided to go and see someone about it and… You know, I mean, it's a, well, it's a long story, but essentially what she helped me realize is that, you know, because I lost my father at a young age, I had an imprint put on me very early on that your world can get turned upside down and can be really scary. Uh-huh. And I don't think I ever lost that. I think that my brain was like, when something changes, you know, push everything away and fucking start freaking out because, you know, someone's going to die. You know, it's it's going to be bad. So... It's been very much that idea of recognizing, like I even have a little cartoon above my desk where I work that Gemma drew for me. It's a little angry face that yells. And it says, thank you for your concern, angry Charlie, because I allow my inner child to freak out and cry. And I go, I'm hearing you. I acknowledge it. It is scary. Who knows? This could be a fucking disaster. But I'm an adult now. I've been an adult for quite some time. I can deal with this situation. And what's the yeah. worst? The worst scenario that can happen is, fuck, you know, we lose a job. I'm going to owe someone a bunch of money. You know, whatever it is. None of it is, like, life-threatening or anything like that. If it is a life-threatening situation, I want full panic planning. <laughs> money. You know, I want fight or flight. Yeah. But it's, like, stuff like, you know, finding out that, you know, you're going to have to cancel a trip because of some weekend. <gasps> oh, shit. Oh, God. I, was, I promised these guys are going to come on. And it would really eat me up. So in exploring all that, I started to realize, and this is coming back to your point about the present, I don't breathe. Ah. (laughs) I found out I don't breathe. And I don't know if it's related to, you know, the same incident of my father dying or if it's, you know, earlier than that, but I often hold my breath. And even, you know, friends and, you know, my partner definitely has noticed that I will sit with them on the couch and it's like, you haven't taken a breath in a minute. And it's obviously related to that stuff. It's kind of… In a weird kind of way, I hold my breath consciously and subconsciously to heighten like a a joyful moment. Like, (gasps) you know, this is great. Mm -hmm. And also when I'm scared, you know, I hold my breath. And so I very rarely breathe. And so I've been going to yoga. I mean, I was going to do meditation. I thought that would help me. And the person running the meditation class said, I can't work with you because you're not breathing and you're dedicated to the freak out. Your body is freaking about having no oxygen. So you need to go... Do yoga to learn how to breathe, and I still don't have it down yet. But I'm getting an awareness now of just taking that breath, and it's so true that if you do any kind of relaxation, the first thing they do is take five deep breaths, you know, and just feel it going through your body. It's that 15 seconds, you know what I mean? It really is taking the breath and just yeah. like there you go. Remember to breathe. Thank you, Charlie. You're awesome
2: you're awesome. If you do want to hear the full conversation, just scroll all the way back to the start of the podcast feed. There's some clangers in there. It's great. If you're a dad, uh, a mum dad or a, a dad dad, there's a new season of Dad Pod that's just hit the shelves. There's no shelves anymore. Charlie and I, as I mentioned before, we had our kid, our youngest kids we had about 4 weeks apart, so we started a podcast uh, before the kids were born and we've just basically been tracking our journey, what we're learning and trying to seek out new ways of learning. And it's actually really cool. I'm really grateful to, to do the show with Charlie and I'm grateful to have the cool people that support the show by not only coming on it, but also talk to us about being on it. So yeah, find DadPod where you found this podcast. If you um, like, I'll be back here on Friday and I'll talk to you then. Um, so thanks heaps for listening. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things.